Hello and welcome to this Law in Sport podcast with me, Sean Cottrell, the CEO and co-founder of Law in Sport. I hope you're doing well. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you haven't tuned in before, the Law and Sport podcast is here to help you understand the latest legal issues and developments from the world of sport, as well as get to meet some of the key figures that help to contribute to the professionalization of sport, to the better performance of sport and governance of sport around the world. I'm delighted to welcome our guest today. He's Nandan Kamath. Many of you will have heard him talk at Law and Sport Conference, um, one of our previous events that we've held. He is a Law and Sport editorial board member. So Nandan, thank you so much for all the work you do there. Um, it really is appreciated. Nandan is the principal lawyer at Law NK based in Bangalore, India. His practice specializes in sports, technology and media law. He has a range of clients from international and national sports federations, leagues, teams, sponsors and athletes. He is a recipient of the prestigious Rashtinya Kel Poshahan. Is that correct, Nandan? Did I say that? Is that a good effort? Or do you want to tell us what the... Yeah, pretty good, pretty good effort, uh, uh, Sean. It was the Rashtinya... Do you want to say the correct pronunciation? Yeah, the Rashtinya Kel Prozahan Puruskar. That was for Go Sports Foundation, of which I'm one of the trustees. Fantastic. And that is, we can come on to that in a minute. Um that award was awarded to the Go Sports Foundation from the Ministry of Youth Affairs and Sports of India. Um, he graduated, his background was that he graduated with uh, LLB honours from the National Law School of India University uh, with the BCL and MSc degrees from the University of Oxford on a Rhodes Scholarship, um, of which he is now, uh, uh, are you a trust, is he a trustee or representative from the, uh, for Rhodes Scholar in, in India? The National Secretary. So I do the selection process for India. Which is amazing. And again, we need to come on to that. And we can, maybe we can start with that in a minute. Um, and he's also got an LM from Harvard, if that wasn't enough. As he said, he's the managing trustee of the Go Sports Foundation, a not-for-profit that provides scholarships and support to junior Indian athletes. As someone who's known Dan for, for God knows how many years now, I can say that he's one of the pioneers of Indian sports law. Um, has been helping shape and improve the governance of sport in India and working tirelessly behind the scenes. Incredibly humble individual. I'm delighted to welcome you onto the podcast because you don't like talking about yourself. <laughs> it's one of the... Uh, you've all, <laughs> I think, I think I've, I've, don't, don't need to hear that. <laughs> you, you've done more of a job than I, I could. But uh, more than that, just uh, I think uh, pleasure to be on Law and Sport. It's a community that uh, has been very gratifying and very giving. So... Uh, I've sort of grown with it and it's wonderful to see what we do for the community and for lawyers like us. Well, thank you. Well, again, we are the sum of our mass, right? Like as in, uh, yeah, we're the sum of our parts. Um, sorry. Um, now, I think, yeah, I think this is like the fifth time of asking, I think, because I think I've tried to persuade you over the years to be on the podcast. He said, yeah, yeah, we're a range of time. So I'm, I'm really chuffed to have you on. Um, to start with, um, let's talk about your background. Uh, you, you received a... a um, you know, a Rhodes scholarship uh, to Oxford. So let's go back even before that. How did you, what made you get into law in the first place? And then what, you know, how did you end up at Oxford? Yeah, Sean, so uh, as a young person, I was just quite obsessed with sport. It was sort of the main thing in my life. It's what I did when I was asleep. It was what I did when I was awake. I have this memory of uh, sort of falling asleep, holding my cricket bat. So uh, it's just what life was about and really what gave me uh, meaning and sort of an opportunity to explore myself. So uh, my first sport was actually field hockey. It's something my mother put me into at school. 
it was uh, my school uh, St. Joseph's Boys High School in Bangalore had a, a, a hockey tournament they organized each year and my uh, my mother went and put me in the care of the coach and said hey uh, just take care of this guy and keep him out of trouble and i think there there was no coming back from that so from hockey it moved to to cricket and for something and that was a sport i really had a flair for it was something i really obsessed about i i couldn't go to sleep without seeing how all the wickets had fallen in a test match or one day match so it was really a passion which drove me and uh, sort of uh, was a predominant function and feature of my life and uh, academics just went along uh, keeping my sport going and uh, I was actually a pretty serious sports person I played for the junior uh, state teams I captained the state teams um, also uh, played at the national level so it was and that's and, that, and, and, and in cricket in India that's that's really competitive <laughs> yeah I mean, not, it was that's not and it's a lot of people it was <laughs> right in each state. yeah it was some simpler times then so perhaps uh, I think it, what I did realize was I was uh, I was tall for my age and at the junior level the size uh, I think was a significant uh, sort of equalizing influence and I think when everyone else caught up my my uh, skills waned a little bit but but by then uh, I'd been doing reasonably well at my academics. and i came to this inflection point after the 12th grade so until school it was very much sport driven by sort of formal structure you had a good coach who made sure you were disciplined and then you move on from structured sport to having to still sort of push yourself and at that point i uh, i sort of fell off the tracks a little bit i was good but maybe the passion just went away and the sort of the internal drive wasn't as strong but i was doing quite well at my academics and it came to a point where sort of one of my friends was doing this uh, this entrance exam in law school and i just looked at the question paper and very fun exam it was full of logic and puzzles and general knowledge and some math and i i very much a sort of a challenge and cha- accept the challenge type of person i love puzzles word games things like that and i said hey if this is an exam I, i'd love to go and do it and i just went and turned up for that exam and, and got into the national law school so again i say uh, much simpler times today there's competitive exams there's coaching and other things like that but in many ways law selected me rather than me choosing law and i i really remember this foundational interview so once you got through the entrance test you had to turn up for an interview it wasn't like a condition to getting admitted but it was a step you had to go through and it was this big room and the founder of this law school a legendary person uh, professor madhav menon so he asked you all these questions and finally he turned to me and said so young man are you going to be a cricketer or a lawyer so i think i said why can't i be both he said join this law school and there's no way you're going to be both so please make up your mind right now and and that's a very foundational i remember it now uh, as one of those moments which was an inflection point which sort of changed the the course of my life in in many many different ways so one i uh, my parents really left it to me it was my choice to to choose law school over pursuing sport um but it also was a very stark memory for me as recognizing that we were still in a setup where sport and education couldn't go hand by hand uh, it was very difficult to do uh, elite sport and elite education together in india and that was very striking for me i i i think i had that uh, that that experience empower me and push me hard uh, i felt like i'd given up something i was good at and valued so i really went hard on my education and tried to excel so taking a lot of the the values of sport into pushing hard understanding what education required and and getting the results 
but it also left a little bit of sort of uh, impending sadness to ha having to have made that choice when there was still something left in the tank right and in many ways that informed a number of decisions i've taken later on in particular working with young athletes and trying to create pathways for professional athletes in both olympic and paralympic disciplines which is a slightly different story the, the go sport story but i went ahead and uh, sort of really pushed hard at law school did well there and came up to this point of okay what next after 5 years of law school in india and i found myself really interested in the subject so this the subject that found me uh, I, i found it to be really gratifying to understand sort of the mix of politics uh, sort of religion culture economics and that's what really law is of how a society forms itself and uh looking what next I, i just said hey this is not enough i just want to understand more learn more and a few people ahead of me at the law school had done uh graduate studies at at oxford on the road scholarship and i looked at the criteria and i said hey we're looking for all rounders people who've done well in academics and sports so again it's almost like that scholarship found me it's someone who played sport and and done law and i applied for it again was fortunate to to get that scholarship and in many ways my life has been a little bit like that in some sense opportunity finding me then me being particularly directional and saying hey this is exactly what i want to do next and uh, i are thinking sort of five steps ahead of the game i've been very much okay i've done this now where do i stand and what would i like to do next so uh, i think that's the early journey as some uh, young person passionate about sport and uh, i think someone influenced significantly by sport and seeing the sport's influence on myself but also society around me and the country growing from uh, a place which had limited opportunities limited experiences and seeing sport as that window which sort of opened up our worlds to internationalism uh, excellence uh, sort of the the broader view of what the world was about and i think sport brought me that quite early and uh, i sort of those values are still quite dear to me yeah you, you, it's a great story and you're in good company by the way <laughs> lord dyson said a similar thing um uh when he was talking about his career he was like, i didn't really i wasn't actually i was very focused on the job at hand whatever the job at hand was i i, I did that i completed it and then i looked up and thought what opportunities around and then he he sort of went on to that um so yeah you're you're in good company in that regard it seems to be quite a successful formula um so then you go to oxford at what point do you start to to think to yourself you know, what can i you know do you do you do the go sports first do you set up your own law practice first which what's the order what's the chronology of of that yeah so i went to oxford and there i actually picked up cricket again so i got into the oxford blues team but unfortunately hurt my back just before the season began so oh, no. again sort of that relationship with sport began uh, but i really thoroughly enjoyed it and what was quite stark for me there was i, I just went to to colleges there were 35 40 colleges at oxford and i just found each of those colleges had better facilities than my state team had uh, sort of at the top level in in india and I, I, i again starkly reminded of what opportunity and infrastructure can do to talent and uh, I, it was a wonderful experience having access to that having access to wonderful turf pitches great outfields those are sort of the grounds we played on maybe twice or thrice a year at at sort of the junior level and club level um, did well on my my bcl i did a law degree focused on intellectual property then from there moved on and did a masters at at harvard law school 
and there right through towards the end of my uh, law school experience in india and through the uh, both the oxford and harvard experiences i got very very interested in technology law rather than sports law and in particular the laws around the internet uh, did a publication around that towards the end of my law school experience and again well, why would that be important <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think that what what fascinated me there and it's it's so much of it has played out over the next 20 years john it's it's been wonderful to see just uh, almost imagining what this is going to play out like and uh, i look at it very uh, as a sort of a foundational experience the internet was so nascent and technology was influencing our lives but it was also this open sui generis almost supra national entity and we'll come to that and how that's not that dissimilar from sport right the autonomy of sport specificity of sport and the internet was trying to claim its space as being again exceptionalism saying hey the laws as they stand outside the technology and internet world don't apply to us and we're going to find our own ways our own governance our own norms and to me that was fascinating because it was about exploration but it was also about breaking rules and forming new rules and again that was something that fascinated me is is systems that break themselves to reform themselves and uh, in the internet was fascinating because it was always this sort of almost uh, the law always having to catch up with development so the law was never ahead so it was a little bit of sort of cops and and robbers uh, with technology and the law and to me that fascinates me because you're going into new spaces having to imagine and build for things that are happening things that might happen and also not blocking out opportunities and potential so law not being a hindrance to something achieving its full potential and we've seen that evolution of how internet intermediaries uh, the law around sort of content how that has played out over the last 20 25 years where there's been freedom given now it's being sort of pulled back again and not that dissimilar from the arc of sort of sports law autonomy uh, and sort of legal responsibility and judicial review so those early forays into internet law actually brought a lot of sort of frameworks of thinking uh, lenses to look at the law as sort of a one of multiple tools of regulation and uh, i really enjoyed that engagement so from uh, after harvard law school where i did a fair bit of work on internet law and there was a center there called the berkman center at the time which had sort of the world leading experts on internet law i went on to practice for 3 years in california at a, a a big new york firm called davis polk and wardwell uh, i did corporate law technology law um, intellectual property and one of the early lessons i got there from a senior partner was don't think about specialization till you're a good lawyer first so Uh, it's advice i give to young lawyers who ask and how do i become a sports lawyer i want to be a sports lawyer and it was about picking up just the skills of being a lawyer and being a good lawyer client management communication multitasking uh, and a bunch of the soft skills that good lawyering includes but also the sort of the more technical skills of when do you know that you're done with with and when are you confident of your own process so building process that you can trust of letting something go once you're confident of your work and those early years i i spent 3 years at a, a really probably one of the best firms i could have was wonderful training on sharpening legal skills and the skills of being a lawyer managing a practice and i still use a lot of the the, the tools i learned there uh, but the, it came to sort of a point where i made up my mind saying i, I want to practice for uh, study for 3 years after my undergraduate degree work for 3 years abroad 
and then come back to india and just find my own way i want to do something meaningful i want to do something that i care about and i'll come back there and, and figure it out and so that was towards the latter part of my 20s and i i really felt very strongly i'd spent most of my 20s in a very very selfish way just sort of amalgamating knowledge building experiences for myself and i've always felt a, a strong desire and need to do something larger and more meaningful um and not in a sort of self important way but just giving meaning to my own sort of experiences and work and life uh to build things that maybe other people will enjoy the benefits of uh to build public centered institutions uh and and structures and i came back with sort of a very unformed uh sort of sense of that but recognizing very clearly that i had an interest in sport and some skills in the law um so that that's really what brought me back to india it wasn't with clarity saying i'm going to set up a law firm i'm going to set up go sports foundation but i i'd say with a sort of a public spiritedness and a bunch of talent so um yeah i mean i think so so, <laughs> so what did why why so why did you then yeah i think that it it came to a point when I, i came back i was a lawyer uh, at least legally trained and with some legal experiences lots of my friends were sports people um they they sort of i went to them and said hey which lawyer are you using what what are you working on and they all acted like i'd asked them have you seen a ghost like i don't think anyone ever seen a law- <laughs> sort of used a lawyer before regardless of the size of the transaction so we're talking about very early territory there were few people practicing maybe sports transactions when they came along it wasn't a very professional setup right so you could have had a dream and i did saying i want to practice sports law sort of merge my uh, my interest and my passion with uh, uh, some of the skills i did have uh when it wasn't ready it wasn't right yet and uh, i just felt there was time to do other things it was time to build some of the things that would maybe professionalize sport a little bit uh so we set up this uh, this organization which started working with athletes and trying to promote athletes which evolved into the go sports foundation and alongside that i had set up just a proprietary proprietary firm because i started getting a few inquiries not necessarily sports related but more technology related intellectual property so the stuff i'd already been working on uh, i got a few inquiries but then a couple of magical things happened there so both for go sports as well as my, my law practice uh, it was i think 2008 was the inflection point i come back in 2006 but 2008 two things happened so abhinav bindra won india's first gold medal at the olympics uh, as an individual we'd won many medals as as a hockey uh, team before but this was the first and that changed a lot of the mindset around what indian athletes could achieve but also we found the ipl come in and with the ipl uh, you had for the first time professional contracting in indian sport uh, a lot of the sort of english lawyers uh, good friends of mine from img actually took on a lot of the contracting work and that very much raised the water level of uh, of sports law in the country tra- largely transactional sports law but brought in concepts of of player agreements franchise agreements sponsorship agreements and that really gave flight to a commercial law practice around sport and for me there's really been no looking back since then so my my strengths in technology and intellectual property actually were helped with a lot of the work we got early on with rights protection but then sort of the commercial transacting and sort of the work around that helped grow a practice which really started as a literally a sole proprietorship of me working alone so when a contract came in i'd work on it and there was no one else to do it then i got a couple of people to help me on a part time basis 
Then I got uh, Roshan was the first person to join our team and he's now partnered our firm. So it's looking back, it's been a, a fascinating journey. It's not one I planned or not one I envisaged would reach where it has. Uh, but it's one I'm delighted to have had the experience of uh, thus far. And what would you say has been the thing, the piece of work that's given you either the most joy you're most proud of or you know, is intellectually the most interesting piece of work that you've been involved in? I think there have been quite a few, Sean, but the one I have to point out is not really directly sport, but it's it's related to gaming and so our work over fantasy sports in India. So it's been a, a journey of maybe 12 or 13 years we've been working on the, on the field. So it's gone from being non-existent to working with one of the largest uh, players. And it's been a business that has been built around sort of legal risk management and how well integrated we have been with the taking of risk, the management of sort of the process and the iterative growth of that from sort of a non-existent uh, sort of industry to now a multi-billion dollar, multi-unicorn type of business. Uh, what was satisfying is really using the nuance of law, understanding ambiguity, be willing to take a client along and to have the client's respect in navigating many minefields along the way. And that, that journey is not done yet, but uh, to me, that is one of the most satisfying ones. The other ones are certainly working with large federations uh, on governance, on governance structures. That's something I care about quite deeply. Uh, working on setting up the Indian Cricketers Association, which is the Players Association for Cricketers. So I think there are certainly some memorable ones working on the BCCI's election along with the election commissioner. Uh, so there are many highlights, but uh, the, the memories are many and many of them are quite personal of working with maybe individuals on single transactions, uh, friendships that have come along the way and sort of difficult to pinpoint one single one. And there's some great ones in there, like the BCCI one in particular, um must have been fascinating right to see uh you know a sport that you love you know the politics involved you know but making sure that it's being you know that the elections are being run properly um must have been uh, really exciting um in terms of where do you see sort of indian sports law going and where's the opportunity for both for um current indian lawyers aspiring indian lawyers and for international lawyers who are looking at India, as always, as everyone looks at India um, and thinks, oh, there's a lot of people there, a lot, <laughs> potentially a lot of money. Mm. Um, how can I get involved in, in, in what's going on there? Yeah, I think it's an it's a interesting question, Sean, because there isn't one specific answer and there is no right answer to this. I think we're sitting on a pretty large uh, opportunity. It depends on how sort of governance structures come along to, to build that opportunity. Uh, a lot of people ask, uh, is sports law a specialization? And I don't think it is yet in India. I don't know if it is anywhere in the world. What I do call it is a deep generalization. And again, it goes back to, uh, I think you have to be an all-rounder practicing uh, in the industry of sport in India. It's like you have to be able to bat at number five and bowl first change. You might not be opening batsman or opening bowler, uh, but you do have to be able to sort of look at a wide range of things Every day is different. You could be working on an employment contract. You could be working on a sponsorship contract. A lot of the work we have done has been uh, commercial in nature, commercial with uh, a need to understand the interests and specificity of sport. Uh, more and more now, the interesting work is coming in, in governance and regulation, which we really, really enjoy. But it's not a place you we could have started off in because there wasn't enough of an appreciation in its value. 
there's lots to go because you're going to move now from the purely commercial to regulatory and now much more towards athlete rights, safeguarding, mental health, uh, welfare. And I think those are fascinating fields. Yeah. And do you think... This is really interesting because this is one of the in the, what we call like the developing markets, let's say, where and I, yes, and we say it in terms of developing markets, in terms of the commercialization, we typically talk about the commercialization of sport because everything seems to follow, yeah, you know, with whether a sport's been invested in by the government or by commercial entities. When it is, you start to see a boom in in lawyers working in the sector. Do you think then the um, you know, talk about the the introduction of the IPL that significant commercial boom and then uh the, the individual obviously the individual achievement the individual gold medal but do, do you, um in terms of the ipl was it that that huge investment then that made people realize hey there's actually an opportunity here there's something more than just people um you know the community aspect of sport there's actually a, a, a true sector here and then naturally is there do you see that is the evolution of you get commercial interest the commercial interest there says hey as you were saying about risk management this is a bit risky if we don't have good governance if we don't have regulation in place this is a we, this is we need to shore this up a bit because otherwise we're, anything could go wrong at any moment in time and then naturally once you get to that point you then turn to as we do with all the other areas looking at you know duty of care the welfare of individuals actually how are you treating the participants is that kind of how you see it see it evolving Absolutely. I think you you hit the nail on the head, Sean. So I, I think the, the, the change that IPL brought was not just the money, but it changed the game on livelihoods in sport. So making uh, careers for cricketers possible. And what that does is it sort of trickled down into the way cricket was played and aspired to. So sort of the micro-organizations in Indian sports started to take off, right? Academies, uh, coaching camps, uh, state teams became aspirational. And now you have sort of half the world trying to play well at an international match so they can play the IPL, right? So it became a center for excellence in your profession. So to, to be playing in the IPL was about being the best in the world at what you were doing and being compensated for it. So the IPL changed the, the way the pie was cut uh, and it included uh, cricketers in the pie, in the commercial pie. And to me, that changed a lot of the attitudes to that because it, it made uh, it much more inclusive. It uh, brought more people into the game, but it also brought more people into the governance of sport, uh, democratized selection. So it was no longer just one Indian national committee, uh, selection committee selecting a team. There were eight more who you could impress and people who had, were invested in talent spotting, talent identification, finding someone who hadn't been found by someone else. So it, it sort of kick-started a system which cared about talent and where talent could be converted into opportunity. And to me, that changed the, the dynamics of multiple private organizations participating in the broader ecosystem of sport. And what you say is absolutely right. The minute you have commercialization, you have much more private interest in participation. And then that leads into governance, right? Because governance then becomes about balance. It's about allowing people in, but not letting them too far into your sort of den. So balancing broadcasters, sponsors, uh, players, uh, agents. So balancing all of these people who are trying to come in and take from sport and recognizing that you have to give, but you have to give with moderation and balance. So the, the action moves once you bring more people in. The action moves to governance, because if you're not willing to govern, I think you can be overtaken by private enterprise and private interest 
and you lose the public spiritedness of your original mission, whether you saw it or not. Uh, I, I think sport can dilute from the inner core outwards rather than sort of be diluted by external participation. And that's the uh, European Super League. <laughs> you basically just described the European Super League <laughs> in, 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 in your uh, description. Um, and then what advice would you give to one? Well, no, sorry, I'll, I'll take a step back. One, I think this should be a word of encouragement to all, everyone around the world in developing sports markets where sport isn't, um, let's say, a recognized area practice area particularly for lawyers but but just in general it's not you know maybe it's not as uh, viewed as being as res- respectable let's say um probably like i think most sports lawyers who have been you know early in the development of sports law have, have recognized that as being a, a particular issue that you know that there really it only takes a it only takes one or two things to happen for the whole direction to to, to, to change um in terms of then advice for um yeah international colleagues who are looking to you know, work either with, um, you know, Indian athletes, Indian businesses, Indian lawyers, what sort of advice would you give? So, uh, Sean, we have a closed market, so we, we, we are not that welcoming to international lawyers here. So, uh, the, the advice would be, uh, I think you have to look at regulation before you sort of get too enthusiastic about Indian sport. But but certainly uh, to, to uh, fellow uh, lawyers, I think there's lots of India looking outwards as well. So recognizing the power of India, and I think you, you, you described it a little bit earlier, it is the most significant sports watching population in the world. And that uh, is going to play out over time. We, we're seeing that already in sports broadcasting. We're seeing it in fan base building. Uh, so many of the European clubs look to India for, for growth in a way that they used to look at China. Uh, the, the way I look at fantasy sport is it does a great job of sort of uh, keeping the, the value of sports engagement within the country. Uh, there are many ways in which Indian fans can be engaged with. But to me, the, the sort of the value in this is getting people, more Indians to play rather than watch. So uh, it's, it's not really advice for fellow lawyers, but I, I would say uh, the, 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 the real value at, and the real sort of pot at the end of the, the rainbow is in getting a more active population who's going to not only engage but participate in sport. So to me, the, the fascinating thing is what this can do for the market around fitness, around sport, around uh, participatory sport, not just elite sport. It's a it's a massive sitting population. And when I say sitting population, I, I really mean sitting population, which needs to be sort of taken to its feet and out there and, and playing. So I mean, even a, a Nike, I think, did some survey at one point and it found that 95 or 96% of the shoes it sold in India had never been run in. They were sort of used as uh, sort of uh, luxury, uh, sort of show, show off gear. Well, Joe, um, yeah, particularly with COVID, it's probably exacerbated the issue, obviously, with everyone being locked down and, um, you know, it probably hasn't helped at all. So there's a great opportunity there. Um, if you. What are the other so? To, to firstly, I want to uh, ask this to been percolating your point on information law and uh, IP law. That, that do you think? Because I look at I look at the sports market and often say to people, it's essentially like startups. Having been running a startup for many years uh, with law and sport, I see the same issues that we would face, you know, and other colleagues who set their own businesses up that many sports organisation faces. As you were saying, like you know, get you know, whether it's looking for capital, looking for investment. Oh, right now I need to get the governance put in. Do you kind of look at it from your, you know, twenty odd years ago now, whenever it was you were doing your. Uh, 
you know, work in San Francisco and, and at Harvard. Um, is that how you kind of look at it is in terms of, is, you know, do you just see sports really as just, you know, a sector that's really still in, in sort of startup phase? Uh, I, I think the, you're right in many ways, but also it's very different from the internet in, in other ways. Uh, to me, what is fascinating, fascinating about sport and sport governance is very much the public sort of public role that sports is expected to play in society. And I try and look at the big picture of the role the state plays relative to sport, this, the role that state is not allowed to play relative to sport, despite being sort of a large funder of sport. To me, the uh, sort of the edges of autonomy and responsibility and legitimacy are where a lot of the action lies. And I, I find it absolutely fascinating. Um, and to me, uh, the study of sports law is more than just about trying to become a sports lawyer. And that's what I encourage people to look at. Even looking at sports law education, which is booming today in India, there's sort of a journal or uh, sports law center being set up at most law universities. Lots of excitement among not just students, but also professors in teaching it. But there's only a limited number of people who are going to be able to practice sports law in India. And that is not going to be hockey stick growth for a while. It's going to be sort of gradual, organic growth. But sports law to me is still worth studying because of these battles, the battles for values, the, the hierarchy of values. How do you organize sort of public activities where private people participate? Sort of the challenges of governance, politics, race, religion. Um, no, but do you think do you think then you could reverse engineer it though? Because when you're describing this, for me, when we're seeing the convergence of media, tech, you're talking about fantasy sport. I would argue that we're going the other way in tech, in the sense that now people are saying, "Well, it's cool we've had this tech. It's cool we've had this IP protection, but actually, where's your societal value? Exactly. Right? What what negative impact, particularly with the Cambridge Analytica? So it's going. So it's like it's a, you know, you're almost switching positions uh, to a certain degree, or somewhere meeting, I guess, in the crossroads. So you're absolutely right, Sean, and that's where I find this uh, relationship between the way the internet has been and uh, might be regulated in the future, very, very sort of contemporaneous to the way sports federations have been and will be regulated in the future. So we've reached the point world over now where we're not going to take internet intermediaries at their face saying that uh, I can regulate, leave me alone, autonomy, specificity, uh, we are end-to-end, government shouldn't intervene, we sit above nations. I could be talking about international federations or national sports federations, right? And that point has come and sort of there's pushback, but there's that, that point is going to come again. And we see that coming in waves in technology, the relationship between the nation state and large uh, sort of information technology companies. And we're seeing that in sport as well, the relationship between the state, business and sports federations. And uh, I, I think there are big decisions that are going to be made as we go along. And that's, uh, I don't think COVID helps that either because it puts many spokes in the wheel in terms of uh, liquidity in sports federations. Where are they going to look to? Are they going to look to big business and private equity or are they going to look to government? And both of those have uh, are going to have sort of consequences tied to them. Uh, it's one choice over the other. And a lot of challenge is going to be, uh, I, there's going to be a lot of strategic governance required to navigate, I'd say, the next half decade or the next decade, because there are going to be choices to be made and not easy choices, certainly with consequences. And it's not that dissimilar to what's happening in the boardroom of a large tech company like a Facebook, Google or 
or Apple saying they're talking privacy, but but they're talking about responsibility, social values, uh, social comity. What is your public role? And as a private player, what is your responsibility? And isn't it like it's, it's so so interesting? Um, yeah, I think you're absolutely right, and it's and it's really interesting to to think about. And I do think you're it's a very challenging area to think about and to navigate. Um, I hope that I you know one hopes that the competition authorities uh, act appropriately because they can obviously be um, you know quite significant in 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 terms of their influence um, on this. At the heart of it as well is it, like with the fantasy stuff, really what. The, as we all know, right? Attention. It's going to be really interesting to see how the law adapts to this, where attention is the, you know, as we're so good at manipulating people. Um, yeah, you find yourself buying chocolate bars at the shops when you don't want a chocolate bar, and you know, you buy a two in, in the UK at least. You always buy two rather than the one because they've worked out that always gets people, even if it's not actually that financially beneficial, right? That you wonder is our, our understanding of decision making, cognitive science, uh, neurology. You know, really, it's all about attention. Everyone's playing the attention game, whether it's Netflix trying to get you hooked in, whether it's, you know, applications, software as a service that we use from across our businesses. You find that there's the design, adding new features, not because they're beneficial, but, but just because they want you to stay more addicted, essentially, to the to the platform. And in sport, obviously, the thing that where everyone makes money is you've got everyone's attention. It captures people at a particular moment in time. And so it's going to be fascinating to see how that's going to evolve in terms of how do we deal with that from a, a legal perspective? I've got no idea is it from my perspective, but uh, I, yeah, I just think I, I love the fact that you studied this before and I look forward to continuing conversations around this area. Cause I do think that, you know, it is the, you know, whichever market you're in around the world, it is the, the, the big talking point at the moment. Absolutely. And sort of data tech and sport. And when we lo- talk about it, what is the term we use? We use, a, use the term gamification, right? So it's about sportifying life and it's what sport, the values of sport of trying to get better, trying to achieve, uh, are sort of transported into other places and trying to give you the dopamine hits of, of that sport otherwise mm-hmm. would yeah you. exactly uh, so much of life is the, the replacement of things that sport could have given you are given in different ways and to me that is also the challenge for sport is it going to be replaced with other ways to get similar types of satisfaction without the same physical benefits or for that matter the other benefits of interaction and like the, the olympism values right one of the great things about sport is it gives back. It, it you, you may not be able to take from sport, but it gives you friendship. It gives you respect. It gives you excellence. And those are sort of the Olympism values. There might be other things that give you the dopamine hits and the responses, but you're maybe sitting with your phone and doing it alone without any of the sort of the, the softer feedback and benefits. So I, always, I always look at it. When I was younger, I was very much like like you. Sport or die, basically, was the was the was the you know I'd rather you know literally you'd rather like exhaust yourself, break limbs, do whatever just to continue participating in sport, um, just because it meant everything in terms of you know uh, what it made you feel like your mood state, your friendships, your circles, you know your focus, uh, all, the, all the dopamine hits, as you say. But I was looking at now in terms of more of a, 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 you know, it's an art form, it's a form of expression, right? And it's that, you know, if you're in, when, you know, you go to theatre groups or, um, you know, people who go to art schools, slightly different formats, but that could be more akin to the sort of individual sports. But really, it's, it's that, you know, there's, some, there's something in that that we sort of suppress as adults, it seems, right? Like when I watch, I'm not sure you, but I watch the kids play 
my kids play and watch other kids play and there's just a freedom to it that you think that we somehow mm. lose and i think there's something in sport whether it's like the celebration of a goal or a wicket or whatever where people lose themselves in that moment that we that allows you to do that and it's socially accepted that you can do that whereas if you're in the office and you get a great you know i know you complete a transaction you start dancing around lifting your shirt above your head or <laughs> do, <laughs> you know it's probably <laughs> people are going to um start to question your conduct whereas in sport it gives you that little bit of pass to be a little bit playful and maybe the you know instead of gamification maybe that's just one part of it the competition but maybe it's the playfulness of of sport as well that um no i i think you make you make a hugely relevant point sean because it's not just about the celebration and all of the other stuff but it is one of the few spaces left to to fail uh, socially acceptably as a young person um we don't allow that in our education failing at an exam or subject is seen as some ridiculously bad thing to do but we fail at sport every day and i think there's something that sport can give us that very few other things can for young people to accept that not everything's going to go your way and to to come back another day and try again um that notion of your relationship with failure and you see it with young kids as well they hate to lose they hate to but they learn how to lose at sport in a safe and respectful environment and i'm not sure our society gives that many other opportunities and simply purely for that value i think sport must be protected from many of the other sort of influences that can can sort of overcome the purity and simplicity of sport i i know there's a naivety to this and i'm i'm still very much sort of an optimist a uh, uh, sort of a dreamer and idealist but i do believe that it's given me a lot and there's something worth protecting there which very few other things can give you they can give you alternatives but i don't think they can give you substitutes well i think there's um i think it's a great point you make and i, I love that as a if you say it's a basic uh, optimistic statement but i love it um as a concept i look back and i think you know i'm i always joke around but i'm half sort of serious with it personal limited particularly academic means but the one thing that particularly starting law in sport i just thought from a sports context and from boxing for years uh type boxing that type of stuff i thought no one's gonna outwork me i just thought that was always the thing that gave me so much confidence to, to perceive pursue business which is like no one's gonna outwork me i just thought that's never gonna happen ever like as in there can be other people trying to do the same thing but no one's gonna outwork me and and you're right i drew from that as you were saying about I tell you, these things you forget about but it's something i drew a lot of strength for as both as an identity was like i've overcome adversity as you said you know i haven't been successful but i've learned i've got better or beat other competitors or you've done better in sparring or you've done ever i think you're right it's very um there's something that the the in life it seems um we need to be sort of proximate and feel certain things to truly understand them people can conceptualize them but until you really go through that experience and i think sport really gives you that um that true absolutely and yeah. and son i get so many questions and I, unfortunately i can't answer all of them about being a sports lawyer in india so the people write to me all the time how do i start how can i be a sports lawyer <laughs> so you got you also around sort of i was going to say so sorry, you've go got ahead. you've got a real issue of scale there <laughs> right because because <laughs> yeah, we have an issue of, of the number number of opportunities but i mean in some sense also that that issue in india persists of being a first generation lawyer and to me i've been a first generation sports person and a first generation lawyer i've had neither sports person nor lawyer in the family and what i have brought is really that sporting confidence to whatever i did uh, whether i went alone or whether i took people along uh, it's sort of like cricket right you it's an individual sport in a team environment 
but taking that confidence in yourself and believing strongly that this is something you want to do opportunities may not be presented to you and in some sense you have to create them when like i said when i started i don't think there was a single person i could have gone to and said can you mentor me and can i work with you it's a lot better today it may be more competitive it is a much bigger market today than it was 15 years ago so i think you should take confidence from that and you don't need to start as a young sports lawyer you you don't have to specialize and like i said sports law is a deep generalization and become a good lawyer first and find your space in sports law if you're going to be a respected well-rounded lawyer you're going to find places to work in sports law you'll have a friend who's a sports person you'll seek out opportunities you can make yourself a sports lawyer do not sit back and expect to become a sports lawyer on someone else's sort of effort or someone to present it to you on a platter so work like an athlete athletes don't get anything on a platter and in in some sense a first generation lawyer is not going to be that dissimilar and and one of the things that that yeah you know I love this and we've always worked with you on on your conferences right you've always taken the view since I've known you at least you know and, and obviously with we uh, go sports that that you knew, you understood and I thought you're always you know far ahead with your thinking on this that you needed to educate as many people as possible right and so you held these conferences and people may not be that familiar with them who list some people may have attended who are listening but others may not be that familiar with do you just want to talk about um the conferences that you that you you've run um obviously you did it digitally last year because of um uh covid uh, and why you do that because i think one of the things that in india that, that, that my former colleague uh, Manali Kalkani used to tell me about, and then other uh, you and other Indian, many other Indian lawyers um, told about is that India is such a competitive market in law, such a difficult market to work in as a private practice lawyer that sometimes um, people can think, as you were saying in the early start of your career, just about them in terms of what they're doing rather than see. Um, and again, this is not just the case in India, this is the case in other you know markets where the sports law is not really well established yet they're not looking at the bigger picture and going actually how can we if we can educate more people if we can go a better understanding if we can you know make it a better sporting environment there's going to be more work for me it may not be today it may be in a year's time can you talk about your approach to your events because i think it's been fabulous in terms of what you've done there you know i've been a huge fan of of that initiative yeah and thanks for supporting us through those sean i think we've taken a lot of inspiration from uh, sort of understanding the rules of the game and and making that even possible to understand the importance of structures uh, what what we saw in many ways was a very limited industry of sports law so being an understanding of sports law why things matter and just even a sort of a sophistication in the understanding of the role of law in let alone industry in in governance and sort of the basic workings of sport itself and we felt it was absolutely necessary to begin that conversation because if so- someone else isn't going to build it you have to build it for yourself and and in some sense move into a home that you have built um and in india so much of it was virgin territory uh it was not just about responsibility and opportunity but just the excitement of sort of leading some of these conversations on things that people may not have thought about and you see at the conference a light bulb go off and to me it's a lot of that is the excitement of exciting other young people and saying hey this is something i would love to think about more work on more and i think if we can sort of start a bunch of those conversations and light bulbs go off for different people at different points of time and to me that is the beginnings of building an institutional and structural framework for sport in india 
and i've always been a believer shown that see a lot of people come to sport saying i want to take something away from sport and that isn't the way sport delivers to you uh, the way sport delivers to anyone coming to sport is it almost asks you the questions of what are you going to give to me and i will decide when i'll give back to you so you can't take from sport you can only, you can only sort of receive when sport is ready for you and that may be in compensation and fees but it's also in experiences it's in friendships it's in the satisfaction of knowing that you're perhaps building something that someone else is going to benefit from and when you're so early in the game to expect to do everything i think is a pretty large expectation but what you can certainly do is expect and hope that you're planting some seeds to ensure that everything is going to get done in time maybe someone else will benefit from it but the, and the satisfaction you may never know today but the satisfaction you will feel knowing that you have planted some of these seeds many of which will grow and will benefit maybe 20 years from now 30 years from now but to make that investment and make that commitment we felt that someone had to start and uh, there's been lots of things that have happened around it which have been extremely beneficial to indian sport in general conversations people relationships and even just the network that has come through law and sport and the wonderful people we meet along the way and those are all part of the compensation package it's not just the sort of the pay that you get it's also seeing my young lawyers grow into to wonderful young professionals uh, we have a team of 12 or 13 people which would have sort of felt like a dream at the start i was happy to get my first associate and roshan still there uh but then we have abhinav and a whole team that evolves and grows and working at sort of top notch quality on really sort of leading edge issues in indian sport indian technology indian media and building that practice from scratch has been extremely satisfying i know it means something to the team but i also know that it means something to the larger ecosystem of sport and not just sports law but we're building things that will benefit not just lawyers and young lawyers and young students but also sports professionals people who want to make livelihoods out of sport uh governors and people who respect the value of sport and and its role in society and i i'd say even the government in really using sport for so much that it can deliver more broadly to india it's such an untapped market in not just the commercial way but in the sort of social value and uh, other value of sport to society I'm uh, the same. I agree with you, and and I love that approach. And I've got a similar view. Like, there's nothing when so when I know that someone, for example, lands their dream job, right, gets the opportunity, gets instructed from someone, gets to connect with someone, whether it's internationally or domestically, wherever it is in the world, gives me so much joy. Like as in, that's something that. Yeah, you know, it gives you, and it's more lasting than money, right? Like it lasts for a long time. Don't be wrong. We all need. you know to earn a living but there's something very very satisfying when you hear that you know people on the mentoring scheme or or the people you've helped you know, work with on articles Absolutely. um or people like you know just people doing good in the world right it's just, it's very nice to think you can be a facilitator of that um one of the other things I'm going to yeah, say yeah and Sean just this is a story sort of I I grew up sort of uh, in my my bedroom was a huge poster of Kapil Dev uh, he was my idol I was an all-rounder uh, fast bowler and, and batsman and then over the last 3 or 4 years we ended up working with him setting up the cricket players association so i was in the same room as someone whose poster was on my wall so just in terms of those are experiences you're never going to get through any other lawyering i'd say i mean imagine your the idol of your your youth becoming in some sense a client and peer and someone you actually have a an interaction with not not necessarily from a fanboy perspective but it's just the the arc of life 
and what it can give you of aspiring to be someone like someone in being inspired by them and finding your own way to 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 sort of make a contribution and difference i certainly didn't uh, lift the the world cup for india but in other ways i've been able to sort of participate in indian sports growth and i think that itself is a fascinating uh, sort of amount of feedback from a system which is which is very giving in both its relationships uh, if if i just went out trying to build the most efficient and financially viable law practice this is certainly not something i would have done but uh, is it some any regrets absolutely not I, i think i've come far sort of far ahead of anything i could have done as a pure sort of transactional corporate lawyer uh not that i look down upon that in any way it was what gave me my foundations as well but like like you said sort of just single people and seeing the trans transition and the growth of individuals through mentorship through uh, working with people and seeing them grow and blossom i think that that is a fascinating thing and to me that the, the next phase of sort of translation is inspiring more young people to to uh, to look at sport to look at sports law and governance maybe not in a sort of that's the only thing you do sort of way but to care about it to 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 play a guardianship role and to really think about the the role of sport in society and what it can do for all of us and uh, to me sports education sports law education is a, is going to be a large part of that i just had the pleasure of teaching back at my alma mater national law school a 40 40 hour course which i thoroughly enjoyed and hoping to take that more sort of to open uh, environments where anyone can learn and sort of democratizing learning and the just the love for sport the love for law and to me just the the applied nature of sports law uh, i feel like it should be taught as a final year course in every law school because it just stitches everything together it gives you new appreciation for all of the substantive and procedural law subjects you study in a way that's easy to deliver and understand because most people get it having watched some sport or followed it but we should pick up a convers- i think we talked about this before but Yeah, I've got the idea and concept whether or not we execute on it. I don't mind sharing it on the podcast, but we're planning to do like a, a mass online, truly international sports law introduction to sports law course. Um, obviously involving all the people that we know, but doing one that's really, you know, again because you know we we struggle as you know as with our ethics in terms of not that we've to struggle with our actual ethics, but in terms of you know we don't want to over commercialize. You know, always you know trying to be on the right side of it, right? But that becomes a problem in markets. uh where yeah we we're obviously based in the in the UK uh well that's where at least our headquarters are um but we're based yeah we've got our international audience but i i believe as well as there's some fundamental bits of information that should be freely available and they shouldn't be commercialized right because it actually holds back everyone it's a bit like i look at it in in terms of like coding right everyone needs to understand html otherwise you can't get the yeah you know, the internet's not great if you can't get browsers to work if you can't get pages to load right so let's make sure everyone can understand that base level so everyone can at least have a web page right or you know that's that type of stuff and i think right in law and in sports law that we're not there yet right there's not this general fundamental understanding of go governance you know even an agreement what good governance is what regulatory structures are coming up we're now starting to see these sort of like you know vetting panels and independence people start to recognize when independence is happening but uh, as in all sectors and we've seen this again we're still as you said with the internet we're still having this um you know in in IT law uh um uh, we're still having this issue of like uh, independence right and, and not in that of Yeah, you can may have something on paper, but what is it doing really in practice? Right? Are people living, eating, and breathing it, which which would seem to be an issue? Um, I like to think as well some of the values that you said, like, and maybe again, this is why I found 
esports quite interesting to compare sport with esports and traditional sport with esports and etc is that i think a lot of what you said though is how businesses should be run in the first place right which is the, they should do good in the world they should have wider values and uh you know they've been able to get some businesses have been able to get away with it for a long time with having that as a, like a real afterthought right but i like to think that again as these worlds collide we start to move with internationalization we start to move to this this place where people go actually let's do stuff that has a you know, much more meaningful impact in terms of our everyday uh, influence. And maybe sport can, if it's on, if it's got its good governance in place, <laughs> can be on the right side of that and can set some examples. I think it's a great point. Um, and, also, and have you found as well that, that, that I think, uh, Sean, yeah, yeah. I think if I just may sort of add to that, Sean, but a very important point you make of this, this sort of values based businesses, values based organizations. But at the same time, I think as a sports lawyer, you have to be ready to deal with moral ambiguity and to not be sort of an absolutist because you also have to recognize that the challenges faced by sports governance, faced by businesses, they are not normal challenges. They're under a lot of stress and pressure. Uh, what you may see as right may not there isn't an absolutist view to that you may have strong opinions but everything is on a continuum and you have to offer your best on that day to your client and coming to terms with having to be not an absolutist morally i think is where a little bit of the experience of the years sort of plays out and to recognize your role in a sort of ambiguous environment and the role that you have to play and to give your best, despite not maybe always being in a hundred percent ethical agreement with things that go on around you, but to also recognize that there is a role to be played within that, I think is an important element. But coming back to also education, Sean, uh, I think we are at an interesting point in India where the interest in sports law far exceeds the opportunity, and I think the uh, the environment, law schools, uh, institutions, others, we have to figure out how to channelize that interest and not let it die because it i think it has to be recognized as not a pathway to becoming a sports lawyer but just something as that's worth studying for its own sake for the fascinating field that it is to understanding political organization commercial setups business models uh, in the concept of fair play and integrity and these are all portable concepts to any other aspect of of law whether private or public and that opportunity needs to be captured well, because I fear that uh, you, you, we may be burning out on fuel too fast before the opportunities to practice sports law or rather practice in the industry of, of sport catches up and there's enough development there. Because that, that is a much more gradual process, but interest uh, is, is sort of preceding it. In some yeah, ways. and I, th I think that's the same globally, right? If you look at, say, our membership, and I'll talk about this. Yeah, quite often. You know, we've got 30,000 registered members around the world right? that, that are on all of our accounts, out of which only 2,500 are on what we call our plus, our corporate academic. If you look at them, they're world champion teams, organizations from literally from football, from uh, from motorsport, from all these areas. You've got the top law firms in the world that practice day-to-day -day in sports law. So now we're, even though we've we started with a very open and we want to be as accessible as possible, hence why we have the free accounts, um, but all of our content's peer reviewed and it's very, very time consuming and, and costly to do it the way, that, as you know, right, the way that we do it. And we use a lot of people's goodwill to be able to get that to happen. The reality is there is a disconnect between the number of people who are interested in and, and globally and the number of people working. We reckon conservatively that there's conservatively there's about 250 full-time sports lawyers are in private practice around the world that are working in sport more um let's say 
um, on a more, uh, let's say, um, bullish sort of estimate, I reckon about 500 people around the world are working full-time within well, serving sports clients, max, absolute max. In-house is a different different number. But even then, there's loads of people who aren't lawyers who are fun- functioning in legal roles, let's say, that are, you know that aren't actual qualified lawyers, which is not a problem at all, but just reflective of where they're at in their evolution. Um, there's many sports organizations around the world still don't have in-house counsel, don't have lawyers working within them. And there is this gap and disconnect between and we see it as hugely concerning, as you're saying, about the interest in it, because also it's very easy to capitalize on the interest. It's very easy to exploit people who are interested in it, mm. right? As in, we could run a, a trillion different courses and just extort money, well, I would call it extorting money for people without really caring about the quality, the, the outcome, the contribution, the honesty, the integrity in the program. And we're seeing a proliferation of courses around the world that some are really good, some less so. Um, and I think you're right if you have this thing because if people have bad experiences that's not good for the overall sector because then it starts to create a bitterness or um, you know or just just as you're saying it bounce it may bounce away right they don't they don't they want to re-engage they just think this isn't for me there's nothing I can contribute so I think you're right we need to uh, collectively look at ways it's definitely something we're thinking about we spoke about this privately it's definitely something that we're looking at is like, like how can we utilize and, and, and put to work these people who want to do something, they want to contribute. Uh, we even had a call about it this morning in our team in terms of how do you do it in a structured way? And it's not an easy thing to do. It's really challenging. And I think for a lot of people, it puts them off <laughs> just even thinking about it. They think, oh, it's too big of an issue to solve. But honestly, if we don't solve it, then it's a waste, right? We've got all these people, there is this there is this goodwill within sport that people do want to participate. And they do. And, and they- yes, in some ways it's, it's the fan engagement issue, right? So you you engage someone and you found someone's excited and interested in you and you're not able to keep them interested and that, that's a Absolutely. loss to the sports community. And I think we have to find e- easier ways for people to engage, young people to engage and participate in sort of the broader sports mm-hmm. law movement. And uh, I think you guys have done a great job with the mentorships and other things. But moving towards sort of structured opportunities to, to participate i think all of us mm-hmm. as more senior lawyers as well um i, I think our, it's incumbent on people to, to build the next Great. generation and in structured ways provide opportunities it's it's a tough one it's it's not an yeah. easier said than done but i think there is a, a need to do that i agree and that. i think it's yeah it's great that you think this way and then it's been absolutely fabulous to have you on the podcast as you know, I really appreciate the work you've been doing. I encourage other people to do a similar thing if you're in a market where, or if you're in a developed market, do it anyway. But if you're in a, you know, think of like how you can help, um, you know, develop the overall sports sector because we're all part, of, you know, it is one of those uh, sectors where it is international, truly international, right? And as sometimes, you, as, as I think Nandan, you articulate it so well, sometimes you don't get the direct benefit, right? You might introduce someone, you may, I don't know, help educate someone, they get a client or whatever. Yeah, we're, you know, if we can move everyone forward, uh, we all benefit, right? Rather than just being a, 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 you know, the king of a very, uh, or the big fish in a very, very small pond. You know, you must rather, we've got, like, you know, the, the, I'm trying to think of really bad analogies, so I'll stop at that point. Because <laughs> I'm trying to think, does it, does it make you a, does it make you a whale in the, in the ocean? I'm not sure, but the, my, uh, the the uh, the wider point is though is much better that, that that we collectively move the sector forward because as I I, I don't know if you see it as well I see it like uh, as interrelated networks basically that that you know and it takes one of them to sort of fall away or become a problem then everything else starts to crumble away right we need this um, yeah we all need to move forward together so thank you for agreeing to be on the podcast it's been awesome look uh, Sean 
I've brought you back back to my technology and internet analysis. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but it's it's been amazing. Yeah, real pleasure, Sean, and uh, thank you for all you do and all your team at Law and Sport does. Many great friendships, many great experiences and memories from all the relationships there. So. Likewise, as I said, as I say, I really you know. Obviously, I run the podcast, so people hear my voice all the time. But I can't emphasise it enough. Like we, you know, it really is, and I said it on a, pre- a previous podcast. You know, it really is the sum of everyone who contributes to it, and it's something that we deeply appreciate. Whether it's writing one article, whether it's being like you on the editorial board, and it's all the advice, uh, you know, and help and insights that you've provided to us and to others as well. Right? It's all of that that, that again collectively moves us forward. Right? That's it is that. Is, that is law in sport really right and so um it's brilliant to have you uh you know uh, on our editorial board it's great to speak to you and to everyone who's tuning in i hope you enjoyed it i hope you took a lot from there i think there's a lot of great information within there and perspectives that we can all learn from definitely giving me stuff to reflect on as well um and wherever you are whatever time of day it is i hope you have a wonderful day and of course if you want to know about the latest legal issues and developments from the world of sport go to lawinsport.com follow us on youtube uh soundtown twitter pretty much every platform linkedin um and of course uh nandan and if people want to we didn't even talk about this this is <laughs> this is what you're like you know you're very too humble um if you want to keep abreast of the sort of policy and legal changes that are going on in india as well specifically check out the sports law and policy center for india um it's a great resource they send out weekly emails doing podcasts everything you can check out we should hopefully by this point um, by the time it's published have the section on Norian Sport as well with the videos that you've been recording um, but do check that out it's a great resource really helpful to keep abreast of if you really want to know what's going on sort of the more specifically in the Indian market other than that have a great day and thanks for tuning in